Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Fantastic. We have a great day today prepared for you. First and foremost, um, Pastor Brett and Desiree are very close friends of ours. When we were starting the church, uh, I was needing a kick in the pants to start. And uh, he just said, bro, you got the goods. Let's do it together. And he's been actually at my side, and I've been at his since day one. And he gave me clarity. When I was wanting to go here, he said, bro, don't do that. You know, consider this. And, and he's been a voice of reason for me, and he's also a very, very close friend. Him and I are going to be traveling to Vacaville, California, to our network church here in a month just to go and visit. Uh, also, Brett is an author. He's an award-winning songwriter. Uh, today, we're going to be giving this book away. It's a book he's uh, uh, written called Hope Not Hype. We're thrilled to have him today. And so this is how it's going to go. He's going to preach. He's a preacher. He's going to have some fun. He's going to preach a message called Jesus Changes Everything. And uh, then we're going to get into worship today. And Pastor Jenny's going to come and lead us again. And we're just uh, honored to have my friend Brett. So would you just put your hands together and welcome him today? Thank you. Thank you. Well, it is uh, an honor to be here. I drove in this morning from Edmonton and... uh, so he called me to risk my life to come to you. And uh, <laughs> the whole way I'm like, well, Jesus, it was a good run. And uh, no, it was, it was fine. It, I had uh, Pastor Ryan and Stephanie uh, and Pastor Stephanie coming up uh, in November to do what we call a DNA night, which happens in the middle of the week. And um, it was a snowstorm for them when they came to Edmonton. And I'm like, it's just fitting that it's a snowstorm for me when I come up here. So uh, it's so great to be here with you. Again, my name is Brett. Uh, EngageChurch.ca is our website. If you want to check it out up in Spruce Grove, which is, you're like, I don't know where Spruce Grove is. That's fine. Nobody does. It's 15 minutes west of Edmonton. If you know where West Edmonton Mall is uh, or you've heard of it, we're just 15 minutes straight west of there. I have a beautiful wife named Desiree who really wishes she could be here, uh, but she runs all of our kids' ministry and she's got family in from out of town, and two little guys. Everett is five, and Kingston is three, and they both uh, desperately are in need of Jesus Christ in their lives. They are uh, animals, uh, polite at times, but still in desperate need of Jesus in a real, real way. So if it's all right, I'd love for us to read the Bible together. Is that, is that okay with everybody here? We'll read the Bible together. Uh, we're going to start in Matthew 18. Brittany's going to roll with me, and uh, we're just going to, we're going to make this thing happen. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. I'm reading on the NLT today. Uh, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. As I mentioned, I got a couple little boys. Everett is five, my oldest, and right now he is like super into Transformers on Netflix, like like loves it, loves it, loves it. He also likes Kid Tube, but uh, that's terrifying. Uh, that's uncharted territory. So as any good parents in the 21st century, uh, we fail hard at this, but we try to limit that screen time, you know. And uh, what happens is we just generally go like, okay, buddy, I'm going to set a timer, all right? And then when the timer goes... That's it. Like, that's, that's, it's finished. And what always happens is we get to the end of the timer and he goes, oh, dad, it's not done yet. Just like two more minutes. And he gets that little smile on his face. I'm like, two more minutes. That's fine. It's fine, buddy. It's fine. And then the timer goes up. He's like, dad, 
It's just almost finished. I'm like, great. Take as long as you need, buddy. <laughs> it's totally fine. You know, uh, but, but what we always try and do, what my son is trying to do is he's, he's trying to test my limit, right? He's trying just to see how much grace I'm willing to extend. He's like, uh, dad, could you just give me like a little bit more? Could you just give me just, just a little bit more? It's, it's, it's never, it's never quite enough. It's like, I just need a little bit more. We just need a little bit more. Now what Peter's trying to do here is he's trying to do the exact opposite. He's trying to like set the minimum like standard. Like he's like, Okay, so if I just do this like seven times, like, you know, uh, Pastor Ryan's deeply offended me, and if he's angry at me, then I just need to forgive him seven times, right? Then after seven, like number eight, cutting him off, done, over, finished. Like, that's all I need to do, right? And Jesus is like, no. That's not it. It's like uh, when, when you're a little kid, and I don't, I don't know if you guys do this up here in Calgary because you're so much more refined than we are in Edmonton, but uh, <laughs> on, on the playground, you know, you're like, you're, you're with the other kids. And you're like, listen, my dad is stronger than your dad. Has anyone ever done that before? My dad is clearly stronger than your dad. And then the other kid's like, well, my dad's like two times stronger than your dad. And then I'm like, well, my dad's five times stronger than your dad. And then some kid's like, yeah, well, my dad is a hundred times stronger than your dad. And then somebody eventually, inevitably, the smartest one in the room always goes, well, my dad is stronger than yours time infinity. Because you can't mess with affinity. Kids don't even know what it is, but you can't, you can't mess with infinity. It's like, I'm infinity times strong. Jesus is like, yeah, hey, Peter, you know how many times I've had to forgive in you? It's into affinity. If I could just use this equation to go, listen, it is a lot. It's so many times that you can't even count them because you're going to lose track. That's how many times, and it's representative of how many times Jesus is like over and over and over and over again for each and every one of us. He's like, listen, I'm covering you with my love, with my mercy, my mercy is new every single morning. We don't have to live just within the rules. We can live outside the rules, times, infinity. We don't just get by with the bare minimum. That's not what he's called us to. It's not, what he called, it's not how he called us to live. It's a terrible way to live, living at the bare minimum. Does anyone remember the time when people used to just like drop by your house? And that was an era. That was a time. People would just show up on it. Like, you want to visit your friends? You don't call. You just knock on somebody's door and be like, hey, let's hang out. Like, I can't even fathom. I don't even want you to FaceTime me without scheduling a time. Like, I, I, like we can maybe talk on a phone unscheduled, but unless, like, we've booked a time to look at each other, I don't think that that's a responsible thing for any of us to do. Like, if you showed up at my house, I remember as a kid, my grandparents would just, like, randomly show up, and you're pretty pumped about it when at first because you're like, candy, like, going to be awesome. But then you're like, okay, well, we got stuff to do now. And uh, maybe you could go because we've got a whole night scheduled and uh, this isn't going to work for me. You know, we just change. It's even changed the way that we do our jobs. Back in the day, uh, when you were a pastor, you could just literally just go from house to house to house, knocking on people's doors, seeing how they're doing. If I did that to you, you would not open the door and you would be angry. You would not be thrilled. You'd be like, what? I gave it, right? At church. Is that what this is about? It's like, no, this is not what this is about. I'm just here, you know, just to say hi to you. You're like, okay, great. Well, um, see ya. <laughs> like, we're just not prepared for this people stopping by kind of thing. I want to talk a little bit about uh, an unexpected house guest here in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 1. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Now, I'm going to, 
like I'm, I'm, I know Pastor Ryan's a distinguished teacher. Uh, I'm not. I'm a ruffian. I, I'm, I'm a preacher. I just like. I just need to know that you're alive. So it's okay for you to laugh. Let's hope. Even if you don't feel like it's that funny, but you know I'm trying. Just give me a chuckle. Uh, I really appreciate it. And Jen's gonna try and help as well. She's like, she's good at that. And if you want to say like, that is so good. See what I tell you. Uh, <laughs> If you're like, wow, that is so good, just try that out. If you've never done that before, there's a first time for everything. If you want to say amen, that means I agree. And if you don't know what to do, but everyone else is making noise, just join along. And uh, it's going to be better for everybody. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Let's just try that one more time. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Okay, we're about 67%, so that's, that's just fine. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he, sent, uh, to the high, uh, so he went to the high priest. He requested letters to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them back, both men and women, and bring them back to Jerusalem in chains. Some translations also say men, women, children. He wanted to bring them back in chains. Now, every time I think about somebody who's like mad enough or angry enough to be uttering death threats, I always think about a really angry Fred Flintstone. You know, because I don't know what it's like to be so mad that every breath is a threat against somebody's life. I can't say that I've ever experienced that, but that this is literally the journey that the Apostle Paul is living. Uh, before he's Paul, he's Saul. This is literally his life. His life is that with every breath, with every thought, there's nothing that he could get beyond uh, more than I want to kill these people. I want to utter, like I'm uttering threats. You know, like Fred Flintstone mad. Like he's just wound up. He's out of control. Every thought is like, I am actually going to murder these people. Actually. We know that this is true because at the end of Acts uh, 7 and into Acts 8, verse 1, we know that, the, that, that Saul was present when Stephen uh, was martyred, that he was actually, they would come and lay his coats at his feet. And he, the Bible says he just stood and he approved. So he stood approvingly, probably smiling and nodding as people picked up rocks and murdered somebody because they believed that Jesus Christ was, was everything. And he was so mad that people weren't following the rules anymore. He was so angry that people weren't doing it the good old way, that people weren't following the law and the truth, that they were following this huckster, this heretic, that they were following this guy who was not even alive right now. He was so angry that they were moving on to another church, another congregation, that all he wanted to do with every breath was to murder and arrest and round these people up. And he's got some gumption because he sends a letter. He's like, listen, I'm going to another town. I'm taking this show on the road. I'm going to Damascus. And when I get to Damascus, I need permission from every synagogue because often the early Christians would go, still go to synagogue. I want to go into the synagogue and be like, bro, you follow Jesus, let's go, put them in chains, lock them up. You, your wife, your family, your kids, everybody, line them up. We're taking them to Jerusalem, and then we're just going to, you know, throw rocks at them until they die. That was his state of mind. That was his frame of reference. With every breath, he uttered a threat. I'm, I'm assuming on his entire journey, road trip to Damascus, worst road trip friend ever, he was just like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. The whole conversation was like, man, I can't wait until that person is bleeding from that rock injury coming right on the you know, lobe. Like, it's like I'm gonna, their brain's going to come out. 
This is, this is the Bible. This is what's happening right here with every breath. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Isn't it interesting that the man with the plan, Saul, with the letters, with the documentation, with the whole posse of guys, gets laid out in the middle of the street, a voice speaks, a light shines, and now the man with the plan gets spoken to by Jesus Christ Almighty. He says, listen, Saul, I'm the one that you've been hunting. Now I've hunted you down. You're gonna go to this place and wait till I tell you what to do because all of a sudden, I'm changing your plans. This is a divine redirection. I'm changing what you have scheduled for today. This whole death and murder or wrestling, it's over. You're arrested by me. And in a moment, you're gonna be arrested by grace. But I am changing changing the script. I'm changing the plan on you today. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Just in the middle of the night, just Ananias. Now, if you're familiar with scripture, you would have remembered that there's this moment that happens in the life of a young man named Samuel, where his mom, Hannah, could not conceive And when the Lord gave her this miracle baby, she gave him back to the Lord. And he went and lived at the temple. While he's living at the temple, Samuel was working for the high priest. Eli is corrupt and God was going to change everything in just a little bit of time. But he's like, okay, well, uh, you go to bed over here and I'm going to go to bed over here. And Eli goes to sleep and Samuel goes to sleep. And out of nowhere, in the middle of the night, this little guy, Samuel, hears, Samuel. He's like, like, okay, that's Eli. He probably needs to drink water. Old guy, doesn't want to get out of bed. It's fine. (laughs) Runs into his room. Hey, Eli, what do you need? It wasn't me, bro. Go back to bed. Goes back to bed. Gets back in. Cuddles up. You know, grabs Chase and Paw Patrol. And he's just ready to go. Because he's like a little kid. Like, he's like a little kid at this point. Samuel, man, what's this guy's deal? Gets out of bed, runs back down the hall. The pitter-patter of the feet in the middle of the night is like so cute and the worst sound ever as a parent. And Eli, you called me. He's like, I did not call you. Go back to bed. Goes back to bed, grabs Chase, Zuma, Sky, Rocky, get her in there. One more time, Samuel gets up. Come on. Eli, and finally Eli, because think about this, the high priest was not accustomed to hearing the voice of God. That's just an aside. And he goes, oh, I think God might be talking to you next time. Just be like, hey, here I am. 
Speak to me, Lord. So if you've grown up in Jewish culture, you would understand that that was a familiar story in every young man's dream. That one day I would hear the audible voice of God. That I would hear it out loud saying my name and I would be like, here I am, Lord, send me. And in the middle of the night, in a dream, Ananias, like the Lord starts speaking. He's like, Ananias, Ananias. So he wakes up and he is pumped. He's jacked up because this is the voice of God speaking from heaven, dream come true, and the Lord starts giving him some directions, which he was writing down in a moleskin notebook. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judah. He's like, okay, Straight Street, house of Judah, right, got the address. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus. He's like, okay, man from Tarsus named Saul. Oh, that sounds really familiar. Saul from Tarsus. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying our hands on him so he can see again. Okay, Saul, 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 Saul from Tarsus. Like Saul, the guy who's got a reputation of rounding us all up and arresting us. Saul, who we heard word from our cousins in Jerusalem, was coming to arrest us, to put us in prison, to lock us up and change our men, our women, and children, that eventually we would be stoned. Sorry, hold on, Jesus Christ Almighty. Did you just tell me that you would like me to go over to Straight Street and go talk to a man named Saul from Tarsus is here to murder us because you want me to not only talk to him, but lay my hands on him and pray for him so he can see again. Lord, I do not know how I feel about that. I do not know how I feel about that because I know that he took out Stephen. I know that they put the coats at his feet and he was nodding and he was smiling and he was approving. I know that that man is a terrorist and he is here to terrorize my family. I know that that man killed my cousin, my uncle, my brother. I know that he did this and I know he's here to hunt me down. Excuse me, Jesus Christ Almighty. Are you actually telling me to go over and pray for that guy? And he, hold on, and he's praying to you right now? Yeah, he's praying to me right now. And now I'm talking to you because you are the answer to prayer. Have you ever thought about that for a moment? That the moment that you're actually praying to Jesus, that he is literally has the ability and does often speak to somebody else in that moment to send them to be your very answer to that prayer? Have you ever considered that when Jesus himself begins to speak to you and move in your heart and your life, that you are actually the answer to somebody else's prayer that is being prayed right now at this moment? Have you ever thought about that? So Ananias, his dream turns into a nightmare. Dream come true turns into the worst possible thing that he could ever imagine. God, I don't know that I can go and I don't even know if I can talk to him. And now you want me to pray for him and you want me to like help him see? You want me to like, you want me, okay, all right, Lord, let's negotiate. I will lay my hands on him. I will lay my hands on him. I mean, I'm not gonna, I might just do that thing where take out his neck and he's done, but I'll lay my hands on him. But Lord, Ananias exclaimed, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to believers at Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. I think that line is probably to make Ananias feel a little better. 
<laughs> so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him. Now, I want, to, I want you just to think about the power of this moment. Where Ananias, God speaks audibly, out loud, says, go do this. And he's like, okay, go lay your hands on a murderer who's here to get you and your family. And I want you to lay your hands on him because he is blind right now. And once you do that, he'll be able to see. I want you to put the healing hands of grace, kindness, mercy on him, to lay your hands on his head so that he can now see. Isn't, interest, isn't it interesting that that very moment that Saul was blind, that Jesus was actually speaking to Saul and saying, I'm sending somebody to you. Isn't it amazing that when he was physically blind, he could automatically now see because of Jesus, that he could see a vision of this man coming. The Lord already told Saul that somebody named Ananias was coming to pray for him, that now all of a sudden the man with the plan, the man with the vision and the dream and the whole thing to, to kill all these people and to restore order, he could now see for the first time because he could see through the eyes of Jesus. He could see in a whole new way. Why? Because Jesus changed his sight and he gave him life back. He gave him hope back, but he was blind naturally, but I can't just help but think that he was alive in that moment going, wow, this guy that I thought was fake, that wasn't real, the one that I thought was dead, the one that I thought was crucified is not only speaking to me, but he's showing me things that I have never seen before because he relied on his knowledge. He was a highly trained, highly skilled priest. He was knowledgeable. He would have been like a PhD level genius trained under the best of the best. He would have been like a Rhodes Scholar. So blinded by what he knew that Jesus had to grab a hold of him so that he could see through his bank of knowledge and see that Jesus was living, active, and alive. And there was no certainty that Saul would ever see again. He just knew somebody was coming to pray for him. And Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He sent me. And then something intensely personal happens where he lays his hands on the murderous one, brings him in close, hands of mercy. I wonder how uncomfortable that must have been, that posture. The power Ananias must have felt. Wow, here he is, weak, broken, emaciated, hadn't eaten for days. I could do anything I want right now in this moment. I wonder how many times we've said no to Jesus or just passed on a moment because of our own feeling of discomfort. Like, hmm. You know, I'm, this is mildly uncomfortable. 
I'm, Lord, do you know where I am? Yeah, he knows. I wonder how many times we've just passed when we've been an answer to somebody's prayer, but we said, ah, nah, I'm good, it's cool. I just, I'm not feeling it right now. Like, I just, the vibes aren't quite where I need them to be. We don't have enough string lights uh, in the roof for me to feel like I can go there right now. Like, unless this is, like, an organic, like, third wave, like, coffee shop, I just can't even, like, set up a ministry here because the people that I'm going to meet, like, Lord, I can't go to A&W. Like, that's not a thing. Like, Lord, I can't. No, but it's like, I wonder just how many times I've let my own discomfort reroute my direction. It's like that annoying GPS. And you know it on the inside. It's almost as annoying as the GPS in your car. You go the wrong way. On the way here, I pulled into to Starbucks in Airdrie just to like be like, okay, I'm basically here and I'm sort of alive. And, uh, <laughs> but I had already put in the address for here. And so the GPS is like, recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. Like just, I'm like, Sh- I know. I stopped here on purpose. But I wonder how many times we've taken a diversion and the Holy Spirit is inside. It's like recalculating, 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 because I called you into this moment. I, aren't you the one who dreamed about this moment? Aren't you the one who said, Lord, send me. And then he's like, go. And you're like, no. (laughs) You're like, Lord, let me be a bridge. And that's your prayer. Like, I'm going to be a bridge person. And then you're like, Lord, I just feel like people are walking all over me. (laughs) Careful what you pray for. So we have this choice and we have this moment where we can either decide to listen to the voice of God and move outside of the realms that we define as comfortable or we can just kind of go our own way. But then when we go our own way and we systematically and routinely ignore the voice of God, we also cannot then be the people who are like, man, I wish God would speak to me more. How come I can't hear him? You can't hear him because you have numbed your spiritual senses to the point where That annoying recalculating means nothing anymore. And so you can get mad at Pastor Ryan. You can get mad at Pastor Stephanie. You can get mad at whoever you want. You can get mad at Jesus himself. But he's like, I know, but I called you. And I I sent you in a direction. And I just asked you to do this one thing. And I, I tried to answer your prayer, bro. And you're like, no, I can't do it. And then we get frustrated, we get angry, we get, we start, we get mad because like God is rejecting me. No, God is not rejecting you. You rejected him and you turned off the ears to hear and the eyes to see because it made you mildly uncomfortable. Because most of these moments don't happen in like big catalytic things where it's like, go lay your hands on a murderer. Most of them are like, hey, could you just go give that homeless dude 10 bucks? And you're like, no, you know what that would reinforce in his life? A pattern of addiction. And he's like, no, if it's coming from Jesus, I kind of know what he needs. And if that's what he needs right now, 
and I ask you to give it to him, don't you think that I can see it all the way through? And don't you realize that your obedience stops at fulfilling the action, that whatever happens after that is not up to you? That the moment you give the $10 was all you had to do? What he does with it or she does with it is none of your business. Right? That's just Jesus speaking into the core of who we are. But these are the moments that actually begin to define our lives and sharpen our senses. These are the moments where we begin to hear and see the world in a whole new way. And it is possible that you are limiting that technicolor God color from showing up in your life because you're like, um, maybe tomorrow. Because it seems so small. And you're like, well, I don't think it's fair that God holds me accountable for these things because I just didn't feel like it was the right moment. And he's like, well, I just didn't feel like it was fair that you were the answer to somebody's prayer and you chose not to be it. That's not on the notes. (laughs) If we think about that opening verse in Matthew 18, Lord, how many times, like, what's the bare minimum that I have to do to forgive somebody? I just, we love the bare minimum, and we love those black and white rules, so we can be like, okay, seven times, yes. Eight, murder him. (laughs) We love the rules because it's like, I can now have a reason to hate you or to have a divide between us, or to keep us separated. And you've been wondering why you're so lonely. It's because you live off of seven times, and then you like cut them off, and you're like, why? Why am I so alone? So I wonder, when we have people coming over, if you're anything like me, and, and someone's going to come over to my house, then I just start jamming mail in like drawers, <laughs> and like just putting things in closets, right? Because, oh, somebody's coming over. Like, this is why we can't just stop buying society. I need about 20 minutes to hide things. <laughs> I don't clean things. I hide things. Like, I just put them in places. And, like, please don't open any drawers in my house because you're going to be like, okay, do you guys not check the mail regularly? No! I get email. I, like, I don't need to go to the mailbox regularly. So I just jam it in places because I need time to prepare. We prepare our, our homes when people are coming over. We prepare our food. Like we just like, 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 listen, my small group at church, we slay snack, okay? Like my wife, it's like, last week was like charcuterie, like full charcuterie spread. We had like Gourmet cakes, what have we done? Like, it's just been out of control because I believe, like, food is a love language. And this is, there's also a reason why my small group is the biggest small group at church. So I'm just going to give you some advice. If you lead a small group here, ramp up your food game. And if you feed them, they will come. That is legitimate. And then if you just drop a little Insta story, like, people just start coming. It is it is amazing. But we prepare our homes. We prepare our food. But I wonder how much time we spend preparing our hearts to receive those guests or those people that are unexpected. I wonder how much time we spend preparing ourselves for God to just do or say whatever he needs to do or say. We know how to get ready. We know how to look like we're ready. We know how to look like. This is what it says in Ezekiel. 
36. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. See, when grace happens, Jesus happens. And when Jesus happens, you receive a new heart. And when you give your heart to Jesus, he returns the favor and he gives you his. And he begins to transform that cold, stony, stubborn heart. Now you can pretend you don't have one. I have the unfortunate uh, problem that I had a nickname first year of Bible college, last year of high school, Heart of Stone. That was my actual nickname. So I resonate with Ezekiel 36 quite tremendously because I understand that Jesus can shape, take and reshape and transplant something into you here that beats and flows and it can be responsive. And you're like, I don't know how to be responsive. Here's the greatest part. You don't have to know. You just have to invite him in and give him permission to do his thing. It's like on a, at a, if you've ever been to an accident scene and the paramedics arrive and the paramedics get in and, and the paramedics and the firefighters are coming in and they all say one thing. Come on, give us some room to work. Give us some room to work here. Come on, give me some room to work. And then they start CPR and you're like, this is like crazy anatomy. And it's like, and you just want to watch. If it was me, I, w- I would pass out. It's just like, they're like, give me some room to work. I just wonder how many of us have given Jesus the opportunity to work. That's all he asks. He says, church. People, friend, and he calls you by name. He says, listen, can you just give me some room to work? Could you like unlock those doors that you have locked in the back of the home of your heart that you don't want anyone to know about? Do you think that you could take that pet anger that you have on a chain in the backyard that you're saving for, you know, you know it's your old life, but just in case you need to use it in the future, you just like to keep it and you feed it every once in a while so that just in case you need to protect yourself, it's there. Maybe you could just let the dog off the chain and realize that Jesus is your defender and you don't have to be. The incredible thing is that all we have to do is say, Jesus, I'm giving you some room to work. And then Jesus begins to change everything. Ananias lays his hands on Saul. And when he prays, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he can see again. And it's like scales falling off of his eyes and he regains his sight and he starts to eat and life comes back into his bones. And he's got a whole new lease on life. He might You know, I wonder if the reason he had to go blind was so that the Lord could remind him that the next time he could see, he would see the world in a whole new way. I wonder how many of us today the Lord is saying, I sent this guy in a snowstorm, the random stripy shirt, to come and talk to you so that from this point on, you could see the world in a brand new way. Jesus, if I give my heart to Jesus and he gives me his heart, what does his heart look like? I'm glad you asked. See, Jesus had this little reputation, you know, Luke 5, with the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Ironically, they made that comment at the same party that the disciples 
we're at probably at a cocktail table, cocktail table, just like this, over the same drink, eating with the same scum, except they just felt like they were better than everyone else. And Jesus is like, no, no, this is who I'm here for. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. That's Luke 5. Luke 15, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. Could you imagine the audacity of Jesus Christ to eat with this man? Yeah, he not only did he eat, he provided food for everybody. You know, loaves, fishes. Matthew 11, Jesus is known as the friend of sinners. He is the notorious champion of those who need a champion, the friend of sinners, and he's a friend of mine. The honest truth is, is that when we can create a church and a church community and a church family when every, when, where everyone can feel welcome no matter the journey, no matter what stage of life they're in, when they know that this is a safe place, that's when transformation happens. The most transforming thing that you could ever do or that Jesus wants to do is just say hi to somebody who doesn't look like you, to say hi to somebody or invite somebody that doesn't talk like you or dress like you or act like you. The most important thing that you could ever do is create a safe place because you said, Listen, no matter what, I know this one thing. Jesus changes everything. And in this moment, in this place, in this atmosphere, in this space, Jesus wants you because it's not Pastor Ryan. It's not anyone on the team. It's all of us. We're all in this together. We create an atmosphere and an opportunity for Jesus Christ to show up and change everything. And that doesn't always feel nice and it doesn't always look comfortable. And you might be worried about your kids, but that's why there's a check-in and they're secure. Listen, I can, can I tell, okay. The number one drug dealer for soft drugs in my city comes to my church. He got saved. He doesn't sell as much anymore. He's on an incredible journey. And my kids cannot wait for him to come over to the house. They go, Daddy. He's in my small group. They're like, Daddy, is Mr. Craig coming? Because when we take the label off and we take the vocation off, we find a person who's encountered the power of Jesus, who's desperately, desperately wanting his life to be changed and transformed. We find somebody for the first time in their life has felt the tangible presence of Jesus and by choice is changing everything and can I tell you that's a significant cut to the income stream <laughs> he frames buildings now and I say that because we've been on an incredible journey as a church and I believe it's the same journey that you're called to and that journey started for us when I realized that we were treating everybody that came into church like they were walking into a Louis Vuitton store. Because, and this is going to sound prideful, because it was. Because we knew that we could deliver. We had the space, the place, the people, the band, the environment, 
the vibe. We had it. I was confident in my ability to communicate. And though we never said it, we just treated people like if they could just come experience this high-end product, then that's everything that's fine. We got them. We got them if we can get them in. We never said it. We never taught it. We just lived it. And one day in the middle of a vacation, God says, you know what? I, I think your church needs to feel a whole lot more like Walmart and a whole lot less like Louis Vuitton. Where everybody's welcome. Anyone can come here. And did you know that their spiritual experience doesn't start when the keyboard starts playing? You know the spiritual experience doesn't start when they get into the prayer room? Did you know the spiritual experience doesn't start when Pastor Ryan starts preaching? Did you know that the spiritual experience starts the moment that they park the cars and they see the flag or they see the billboard as I was driving it? Did you know that the spiritual experience and their spiritual journey started at home when you were already praying for them? Though no, you didn't know a name, you didn't know a face, you didn't know a place. That's where their journey started. And their journey started when they could walk into a place and they just felt like, wow, people here actually love me. They actually care about me. And then, and then they walk in the front door because they didn't even get in the front door yet. Somebody just said hi in the parking lot. And then they get to the lobby and their kids are taken care of. And they're saying, that's why we do things with excellence. That's why we try and deliver at a high level because people need to know that we've thought about all the details so that they feel cared for. Their spiritual journey starts when they meet you in the lobby or grab a coffee long before any note is ever played or a song is sung. That's where we set the atmosphere for the transforming power of Jesus. They could then just get a touch. They would come to understand that Jesus changes everything. And we can say that with confidence because I can tell you in my life, Jesus changed everything. Why don't we stand together? Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.